Good evening. How's it going? Is everyone okay? Good day? Good. I went on a boat and ate lots of pancakes. I've had a lot of sugar. Okay. Right. I'm Matt, by the way, if I don't know you. If you want to find the book of Acts in your Bible, if you have a Bible with you, uh, if you don't, don't worry. The words will appear as if by magic on the screen behind me in the moment. The book of Acts is um, it's kind of about halfway through your, your New Testament, which is sort of in the second half of the Bible. Uh, and the book of Acts is written by, by Luke, who also wrote the book of Luke. Uh, and in the book of Luke, he tells the story of Jesus' life. And in the book of Acts, he tells the story of the first Christians, the first followers of Jesus, the very first church and churches that got started, uh, starting in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, and then as they go out from there, and they spread all around the Mediterranean into places like uh, Greece and Turkey and Syria and uh, Italy, as in that's how we would know these countries now. Uh, and you see in the space of somewhere around 30 to 40 years, the message of Jesus just is spread all across this kind of Mediterranean area. And they go from literally just a handful of people, probably not much bigger than this. They're in a room together. They're praying. You can read all about it in Acts chapter 2. And then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and fills them. And then suddenly this timid group of people who are trying to figure out what's just happened with Jesus there who was supposed to be their conquering hero, and he's, he was died, he was crucified on the cross, he rose again, he's just descended up to heaven. He said to them, wait. And they're waiting, thinking, what on earth is going to happen? They're scared that they're going to be wiped out by the religious authorities, that they're going to be persecuted and oppressed, which they will be. But something amazing happens. And this group of people who are not much not probably that many more than us, probably not really that much different from us, suddenly with God at work in their lives, they spread out. And that spread of the gospel, the message of Jesus, is still happening today. <laughs> Thousands of years later, people like us are still starting churches like this all over the world. And it all started in, in Acts chapter 2. But we're actually, we're going to go... We're going to step back a little bit and go into Acts chapter 1, and we're going to read just one verse together, and then we're going to study that a little bit. So let me just get out of the way, first of all, and then just read this to you. So this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, his followers, uh, in Acts 1, and he says to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let me pray. God, we, we thank you so much that uh, you've risen, Jesus. You died and you rose again. And in that wonderful, very simple truth, but 
very dramatic, not just a piece of history, but something that's something that not just has meaning to us today, but has power for us today. That we can look back on, on those days, that holy week 2,000 years ago, when you gave your life for us, Jesus, and then you rose again and defeated death. We can look on that and know that somehow you died for, for us. Even we can go as far as believing that we died with you for those of us who call ourselves believers in you and in your resurrection we rose again with you and you've given us this new life now this new meaning this new purpose this new freedom and you've given us the Holy Spirit to live in our hearts to bear witness to you and it's a wonderful beautiful glorious thing and we don't want to take it for granted and this evening we don't want to take it for granted we don't want to just come to a meeting and drink some coffee and speak to our friends and sing some songs and nod along to the preacher and then go home god we we want you we invite you to come and be at work within us this evening we invite you holy spirit to come and work in our hearts to grab hold of us again not just so that we are inspired, but that there's a fresh work of you, Holy Spirit, in our lives. We invite you to do that. Why don't you just take a moment before God. In these, normally we gather in the morning, but in the evenings we've got a little bit more time and space to do things. We've just got a bit more time. So why don't we just take a moment, and each of you where you're sitting, just pray silently in your heart. You don't have to pray out loud. Just ask God. Maybe you're not even a Christian and you think this is all just lunacy. Well, then even just pray a very simple prayer and say, Jesus, if this is real, I pray you'd come and show me. Pray something like that. If you are here and you're a Christian, then just say to Jesus, I want more of you. Would you speak to me this evening? Would you just, through the word as we study it together, would you grab hold of me again? Jesus, we we invite you to do your work within us. We want to live lives of utter devotion and worship to you. Yet we know that we can sing about it and say nice things about it here. But when we go out into the rest of our week, when the challenges come, we don't always or often even live like that. And we know we need your help. So we pray, come and work within us this evening, we ask. Draw our hearts to you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. This message I'm going to deliver this evening is um, hopefully relatively simple, um, hopefully even a little bit provocative. Um, and I'm not, normally if, if, if you're a regular with us, you'll know that we've been working through the book of Exodus together. And I thought because we had an evening, we would just take a break from that and we'll come back to that next week. Um, but if you were here last week, don't worry if you weren't, it's not, it is, you're not in trouble. But if you, if you were here last week, you remember we had, a, we had Joel Virgo with us, who's a friend of ours from the UK. And he was talking from Matthew 16 about the church, about the, the people of God, God's ambassadors, representatives here on earth. 
And he's talking about the, the purpose of the church, the privilege of being part of the church, the glory of what it is to be God's family here on earth, his temple, his community, drawn to be worshippers of him together and to live life together. Um, and what I wanted to do is kind of to follow on from that because here, here at Liberty, we, we believe wholeheartedly in the church, not just because we're all friends and we like each other, but I honestly believe that the, God's plan A for this world, his plan A for this city, is not just this church, but is the church, other churches as well. I believe that. And you might think, how on earth is that possible? And sometimes I think, how on earth is that possible? But I believe that's, that's his plan. Joel was saying last week that to, to, to sign up and give your life to serving the church is you're getting yourself on the right side of history because this is what God's doing on earth now. This is how he's at work, is through his people. And we believe that we're, uh, we're a sent community. We've been sent by God to be here, each and every one of you. It's not just me, not just because I moved here three years ago. That's not, it's kind of not that, that's irrelevant, but it's true for each of you as well. We've been sent here to this city. Every, every, there's, not, there's not like a special brand of missionary people and then there's everybody else. We're all sent here to live out God's mission, to be missionaries, every single one of you, whether that's in your family, in where you work, where you live, where you study. All of us are called to, to do that. But the, the church needs God, obviously. It's not that God's just sort of sent the church and said, right, you guys, get on with it. I'll see you in a couple of thousand years. It's not how it works at all. God has sent us the church, but then the very first thing he did is he said to them, wait, wait. To be witnesses, you need the power of God. You need the Holy Spirit to be at work. And without God with us, then we should just pack up and go home. We're just shouting into the wind won't make any difference it won't if it's just us just a nice club having a bit of fun it's that's kind of it's not going to get anywhere but we need the power of god and we need the power of god because we we because every church needs it but particularly in the city that we live you may have noticed around you that many people here the vast majority of people 99 point whatever percent of people here don't believe in Jesus they don't share the faith that maybe you share they don't they're not even vaguely interested at all they just think it's a bit of hocus pocus or just a bit of nonsense or a relic from hundreds of years ago that a few lost bizarre people still believe in but the rest of the world that understands reason or logic has woken up to the facts that Jesus doesn't exist that's what most of the city thinks when when I moved here people said to me things like other church leaders said to me things like, the, the church doesn't work anymore. What, what are you doing starting a new church? What's the point? The sort of conversations I had with people. Because there's just this general consensus that this city has just drifted so far from God. It's not just about numbers of people that don't go to church. It's about, it's about how people view the world. You could call it their worldview, or you could call it even just how they... Some sociologists would call it the, the social imaginary. How people imagine the world around them. How, how they conceive, how they kind of walk through life, how they make decisions step by step. 
that for most people there's just not any space for anything other than what they can see and feel around them. People, there's no space for any sort of higher being, any sort of power, any sort of faith. And if people are searching for spirituality, they search for it within. People are aware of maybe there's an emptiness in life, that life isn't what they thought it could be, that they're, they're, they can't quite ever fulfill their dreams and hopes, and then when they do, they find they're empty, and they don't fill them. They find their relationships and money, they find all the things in life that they think is going to make life better doesn't work. And then they search within themselves, and well, there must be something deeper within here that's going to give me some sort of meaning, some sort of hope. But people anymore don't tend to look to, to God and say, maybe there's an answer up there. Maybe there's something else to consider. People just don't think like that. Some people would call our city uh, post-Christian, that it's, Christianity is something over there in the past. The, the way I tend to describe it to people is our city is post-atheist. Because to be an atheist, you have to say, well, for these reasons... God doesn't exist. You know, you, you, you assess the facts, you, you do some research, and you come to a reasonable decision. I've looked into it, I've researched. God doesn't exist. But the reality is, most people I know anyway have never even thought that. They've never sat down and thought, does God exist or not? They've not read Richard Dawkins or Christopher Hitchens. They just haven't. They've not thought about it. Probably because they've probably never even really met a real Christian. So they're not really even atheists, because how can they be? They're kind of post that. That's, even that is something that's in the past. But what all of this means, I'm not just trying to paint a bleak picture to depress you, but what it means is that there are certain ways of, of starting a church, there are certain ways of telling people about Jesus that just don't really work anymore. And we just need to be real about that. We could go into Dam Square and buy some megaphones and just shout at people, Jesus is Lord, end of. You know, you're going to go to hell. We could just go into damn square and just shout at people. We could, but it won't work because they don't know what you're talking about. You could do that 50 years ago, 100 years ago, because they had some understanding of the Christian faith and you would be speaking some conviction into their hearts. But now it would just be gibberish, nonsense. They wouldn't know what you mean. We could, we could just put up a fancy website. I hope our website is quite nice. We could open our doors and say everyone can come in. But as you'll notice, the whole city isn't, isn't here. Some things that would work in starting a church in some parts of the world just don't work here. There's a verse in Mark chapter 9 where Jesus sends his disciples out to pray for the sick and to cast out demons and they go and do that. And these disciples, they gather together and they try and cast this demon out of a particular man. And it doesn't work. And they've seen Jesus do it. And yet when they try it, it doesn't work. And they go back to Jesus and say, how come when you cast out demons, they run? And when we do it, it doesn't work. And he says to them this. His disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And there are two things to, to learn from this. Um, a, a writer who lives in New York who's written some excellent books explaining the Christian faith called Tim Keller, he says that, that 
what we can learn from that story is that our old mission strategy doesn't work anymore. The, the, the kind of the disbelief in our culture, the lack of belief, the lack of understanding of God is so ingrained in our culture that the old ways of doing it don't work, that we have to somehow get in deeper, deeper somewhere else to, to see people's lives changed, which is helpful. We need to learn that. But then uh, another writer who lived uh, about 50 years ago called Martin Lorne Jones, he said, it's true, but the old methods don't work. But what Jesus is, is saying to them very obviously in black and white is we need to pray because we need to trust in the power of God. He said this, he said, you must become aware of your need, of your impotence, of your helplessness, You must realize that you're confronted by something that is too deep for your methods to get rid of. Maybe even you're thinking of things in your own life that this is true of. Things that you can't deal with and you need something that can go beneath that evil power and shatter it. And there's only one thing that can do that and that's the power of God. I believe in Jesus I don't believe it's just a story or a system. I believe that God's real and that he's alive today. And I also believe he sent his Holy Spirit, who's we've been singing about him already. We believe in, in that God is a Trinitarian God, three persons, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I believe that Jesus has sent his Holy Spirit to the church to give us power to achieve his mission and that's what we're going to talk about this evening so first of all the first thing I want to say is when we look at the Holy Spirit we're particularly talking about the Holy Spirit when it comes to our mission what God's called us to is that there's no salvation outside of the Holy Spirit says this in 1 Corinthians therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. No one. So if you're here and you've genuinely said in your heart, I believe in Jesus. Jesus is Lord of my life. That's the Holy Spirit at work. That's the Holy Spirit at work when we first commit our lives to Jesus, even before that, he's been at work drawing you to Jesus. You think you made the decision to follow him, but there's no, that's God at work. He's drawn you to him and he's enabled you to say from your heart, Jesus is Lord. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about some kind of weird force or some sort of bizarre influence. As I said, we're talking about a person, the same as God the Father, the same as Jesus, his son. Um, it's easier for us to get around those concepts because we understand parents and fatherhood and we understand sons, so we can understand God the Father and God the Son. But the Holy Spirit sometimes feels a little bit out there. We can't quite put it in a box. But he's, he's a, a person, a, a member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit. It's not just some weird influence and force. We can sometimes so kind of spiritualize the Holy Spirit too much, it gets a bit crazy. 
And there's no work of the Holy Spirit that is independent of the work of Jesus Christ. It's not as if Jesus is doing his thing over here and the Holy Spirit's just gone curveball and he's over here doing this wacky stuff. It's not how it works. It's not how it works at all. So there's no relationship with Jesus Christ that is not also us having fellowship relationship with the Holy Spirit. The, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life is the presence of Jesus Christ. Sometimes even the Apostle Paul refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Jesus. We, we, for us to belong to Jesus is for us to be possessed by the Holy Spirit. That's how it works. There's no salvation outside of the Holy Spirit. But there's also no mission outside the Holy Spirit. It says in John 15, let me read this verse. When the helper comes, sometimes the Bible calls the Holy Spirit the helper. It says when the helper comes... This is Jesus talking here, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, and who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness about me. It's what the Holy Spirit does. It's one of his main kind of roles is to bear witness, to tell people, to tell us about Jesus. That's how mission works, essentially, that's how people coming to know Jesus works, is the Holy Spirit informs them. <laughs> he bears witness to their hearts. He's bared witness to, to our hearts. In John 16, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will glorify me. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He says, look at Jesus. Look how amazing he is. Look at what he's done for you. And when... And when that happens, something happens within our heart. We think, I can't describe this feeling, this emotion. Why do I feel so grateful for this forgiveness? Why am I so thankful for all that Jesus has done? That's the Holy Spirit within you. He's bearing witness. He's pointing to Jesus. And what happens is when we become Christians, we get caught up in that mission as well. We're then caught up in that same mission, the same way the Holy Spirit comes to bear witness about Jesus. We then come to bear witness about Jesus because the Holy Spirit's in us and we now live lives that, to glorify him next thing to say is that the Holy Spirit not only is there no mission outside the Holy Spirit but even further we're empowered to bear witness you see they were what happens is Jesus told as we read in, in Acts 1, he said to his disciples to wait to receive the Holy Spirit so they could become witnesses. And that's what happens in Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. But then as you read through the book of Acts, you discover that time and again, they keep coming back and saying to God, can you come and fill me again? There's this wonderful story in, in Acts chapter 4 where it's pretty much the same crowd of people together. And Peter and John, who are two of Jesus' disciples, they've got in trouble. They've made a bit of a mess of things in a good way. They've been, they've been trying to heal people and do all sorts of stuff. And the religious authorities in Jerusalem, who are kind of the baddies in the story, they, they call Peter and John to them and say, stop doing that or else. You know, if you do that again, you're going to be in trouble. And that, that would have been a serious threat. They would have, they would have been scared. So they go back to the, to the, and they're scared. Because, I mean, at least two other times 
in, in the book of Acts, actually three other times, they end up, some of them end up in jail. Um, several times in the book of Acts, people are killed. In fact, as far as we know, most of Jesus' 12 disciples were all martyrs. They all died for their faith. So in Acts chapter 4, after Peter and John come back and say, this is what's happened, they were scared. And what they do is they have this prayer meeting, which I want every prayer meeting to be like this. They have this amazing prayer meeting where they just say, look, what, what do we do? And it says that this, and when they'd prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They were filled again with the Holy Spirit and that enabled them to speak with boldness. That's what, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He, he comes and helps us, gives us power to speak with boldness. I don't know about you, I've had times where I, I know I, I feel like I've missed an opportunity where I know there's been like an opening to share with someone about Jesus and for whatever reason I haven't done it. But there have been other times where for whatever reason it, I have and I've, I've told people about Jesus. And, and I think what's, is that just me being, is that just something within me that, you know, some days I'm in a good mood and some days I'm in a bad mood. I mean, that's true, you know, but is that just because I was a bit happier that day? So, no, I think it was just the Holy Spirit within me helped me in those occasions just to come and witness to someone, to come alongside someone and share with them about Jesus. The Holy Spirit gave me boldness to do that. And we as a church, as a people, in a city that thinks that we're all crackers, we're all loonies. We need the Holy Spirit to give us boldness to tell people. Because if we just try and stir it up within ourselves, then we'll last a day or two and then it'll fizzle out. But if we say to God, we need your help. We need the helper, the Holy Spirit, to help us to bear witness about him, then he'll do it. So he empowers us to bear witness. As well, we believe he... He empowers us with, with gifts, with gifts of the Spirit. It talks about them in, in uh, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, the end of the book of Ephesians. It talks about spiritual gifts, gifts that God has given to his church that we can use, things that he's enabled us with. And, and through the, the story of the book of Acts, from the day of Pentecost onwards as this church spreads out you see them not just telling people with boldness the Holy Spirit helps them to tell people but you also see them praying for the sick and seeing people healed it's so straight even at the end of Acts 2 straight away we, 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 it talks about the disciples performing signs and wonders the start of Acts 3, uh, we see uh, Peter and John are walking outside the temple and a beggar says to them, do you have any money? And Peter says, well, I don't have any money, but get up and walk. And this lame beggar stands up and walks. In, in Acts chapter 5, the, the, uh, Peter has by now got this reputation of being able to heal people. So people would literally, they would bring out their mats of the lame and the sick and they'd lay them on the path. And they, the, the lame and injured and ill would lie on the path and they'd hope that Peter would walk past them so even just his shadow would fall on them so they could be healed. 
That's what it says in Acts chapter 5. In Acts 19, that people bring bits of cloth to the Apostle Paul so he can touch them, the bits of cloth, and they take it back to the sick people and people are healed. It's crazy stuff. And you think, what's that about? That's just all bonkers. But we see time and again, story after story of, of the early Christians not just speaking, but praying and asking God to do miraculous things. And miraculous things, not every time, but often happening. If you just read through the book of Acts, you think, this is crazy. There's so many bizarre stories of what God was doing in that book. But it happened again and again, time and again, with people like Stephen, Philip, Peter and John, disciple after disciple, person after person. And the thing is that they were all just ordinary people. They're not superheroes. They're just regular Joes. They're just like us. But the same as us, they serve the same God. A remarkable God, a God of power. Let's move on. So also what the Holy Spirit does is he, he guides us. Again, in the book of Acts, you see... You see different times where, particularly for the Apostle Paul, it says in, in Acts 20, he says, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what happened to me there. In another story in Acts 16, it says he, they went through the region of Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. What happens is Paul, is Paul goes to different places and he's, he's, he's a church planter. He goes to different places to start new churches. And there are some places he goes. He goes to Ephesus and he starts a riot and they kick him out. He goes to other cities and they don't even let him in. They go to other cities and he starts successful, wonderful churches. Other places it seems the Holy Spirit directs him to go to different places. But Paul, all the while, he's, he's trusting in the Holy Spirit to guide him and to lead him. And God speaks to him in different ways. So there are some instances in the book of Acts where it seems like God tells Paul to go somewhere and he goes somewhere. And there's other times he just goes somewhere just just because it's the next town or the next place. And then when he gets there, he can't get in and he has to go somewhere else. But in lots of different ways, he's always seeking the Holy Spirit to, to guide him, to lead him. And that will happen for you as well. As I said at the start, I believe you're here because... Even this evening, that the Holy Spirit has drawn you here. I believe you're here in this city because God's brought you here for a purpose. But it might be that God takes you on to another place. And again, that, you need to each time trust God for his guiding and for his leading. I don't believe in coincidences or anything like that. God's drawn you here. You might think, oh, I just moved here for work or for study or because I followed that really hot girl. No, <laughs> Those were just silly reasons. (laughs) God brought you here because he's got a mission. He's got a plan for your life. So the Holy Spirit guides us. The Holy Spirit also, finally, there's lots of things the Holy Spirit do. There's just a few we're talking about this evening. He helps us to endure in mission, to, to suffer in mission. It says in 1 Thessalonians, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. It seems like those two things shouldn't go together, affliction and joy of the Holy Spirit. You see, but what the Holy Spirit 
enables people to do is to sometimes to suffer, to go through pain and hardship. People, people say to me, they'll say, how on earth did you move? We've got four daughters. Uh, when we moved here three years ago, they were eight, six, four, and two. And people say to me all the time, how on earth did you move your whole family to a different country? How did you do that? And, and my answer is, if I knew how difficult it was, I wouldn't have done it, <laughs> honestly. And I said, well, I'm not going to do it again. You know, it was, that was crazy. But we, we were able to do it because the Holy Spirit helped us. It just doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit just makes everything easy, but he helps you in seasons of your life to walk through pain and difficulty and suffering. And the Holy Spirit helps you to do it. I've met other people that have done some ludicrous, crazy things with their life. And I think, I could never do that. How have you done that? We've got some, some friends who've just adopted two kids. And I think, I could never do that. Have you met people like that? They're adopting or, or fostering. And you think, I could never do that. How on earth do you do that? But God's just given them a grace to do that. The Holy Spirit just helps them to do that. He enables them to do that. See, the, the word in Acts chapter 1 that verse we were at the start where it says you'll become witnesses. That word witness in the original Greek is the word martyrs, which is where the word martyr comes from. Jesus is saying to them, he's not just saying you'll become witnesses. That's quite a nice word. We'll just go and tell people. He's saying to them that some of you are going to die. You're going to become martyrs for what you believe. And I think I could never do that. And to be honest, anybody that's ever been martyred, that's died for their faith, has probably always thought, I could never do that. But in the moment when it happens, when it comes, you read story after story of what happens, and God just gives people a strength to endure, even that. To walk through even the worst of suffering, God enables you to do that through the Holy Spirit. He will help you to do that. You might be looking at situations that you've got coming up in your life, maybe in six months, a year's time, or things that maybe you feel God's spoken to you about that terrify you, or circumstances coming up, you think, I don't know how I'm going to walk through that. Just ask for the Holy Spirit to help you. Say to God, I need your help. I don't know, I don't know how we're going to raise the money to get through this next season. I don't know how this is going to work. This is just too painful. Just ask God for help. Just ask him. Ask him. So the Holy Spirit helps us in lots of different ways. I guess the next question would be is, is what, what, what about us as a church? What does it mean for us as a people? Well, there's a few here. I'm just going to rattle through these quite quickly. First of all, we get to live as a community of the Spirit. It says in Galatians 5, it says, I walk by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh walk by the spirit as the church we're called as a people together to walk in the spirit that's the language that paul uses in galatians and it means we're to walk and follow the ways of jesus to live as a holy people in a city that that laughs at that that mocks that we can't just be a church that just sort of pretends that that we can just be like everybody else and come to church on sunday we need to be a church that's committed to what we believe, that lives radical, holy, pure lives, 
But we need the Holy Spirit to do that. We can't do it by ourselves. So as a community together, we get to be a community of the Spirit. There's a lot more I could say, but I'm going to move on. We get to be a community of prayer. If I could say anything this evening, I would say this. is As, as a church, we need to pray. Prayer works. It does. I could tell you dozens of stories from my own life where we've prayed and God has moved in miraculous ways that the only way I can explain it is God did something. It doesn't always happen the way you expect. Most of the time it doesn't happen the way I expect. It doesn't happen when I expect. Normally, often you have to wait, sometimes years. But prayer works. And prayer works when it comes to mission, when it comes to seeing many hundreds, thousands even of people in our city coming to know Jesus. The way that will happen is because we pray there's a story, let me read this to you. There's a story about a guy called George Muller who lived in Victorian England. He was an amazing man. He was a social reformer. He, started, uh, he, he did loads of works uh, uh, caring for the poor and needy, caring for orphans. He did some incredible works. But he was also a man who prayed. And it says this. This is uh, from his, the first bit's from his diary. He wrote this in, in his diary. It says, in November 1844, so... 150 years ago, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. He was praying for five people he knew that they'd come to know Jesus. He said, I prayed every day without a single intermission, whether sick or in health, on the land, on the sea, whatever the pressure of my engagements might be. So he prayed every day that these five people would come to know Jesus. 18 months elapsed before the first of the five was converted. So 18 months for the first one. I thanked God and I prayed on for the others. Five years elapsed and the second one was converted. I thanked God for the second and I prayed on for the other three. Day by day I continued to pray for them. And another six years passed before the third was converted. That's 11, 12, that's 12 and a half years from when he started praying. I thanked God for the three and I went on praying for the other two. These two remained unconverted. That's what he wrote in his diary. Uh, 36 years later, he wrote that the other two sons of, uh, sons of his friends were still not converted. He wrote, but I hope in God and I pray on and I look for the answer. They're not converted yet, but they will be. So he wrote that before he died and then in 1897 52 years after he began to pray daily without interruption for these two men they were both converted they both became Christians after George Muller had died one of them at his funeral <laughs> isn't that amazing one of these people he's prayed for for 52 years one of them became a Christian at his funeral and the other was a few weeks later isn't that amazing I mean you just prayed he didn't, it doesn't say that he was banging on their door every day, giving them tracts and shouting at them, you need to become a Christian. We don't know what he did. Maybe he did nothing. But he did do something. He did the most important thing. He prayed and he believed God. And that's how it worked for us in this city. We have a prayer meeting. We meet once a month to pray. And it's the most important meeting we do in the church. We gather together on a Tuesday evening. We're doing it this Tuesday and we pray and we just say God we love you and we spend some time worshipping God and then we spend some time praying for our city 
And I can tell you from when we started this church three years ago with 10 of us and some kids in, in my apartment, and then to see what God's built in three years is just all an answer to prayer. It's just answer to prayer. It's God's move to he's worked. So join us this Tuesday and let's pray. It's such a wonderful adventure because you pray and then you go home and you think, I wonder what, you know, nothing seems to happen there. You know, we prayed all these things and life's just normal. But then you come back a month later or six months later and you look at everything that God did and you think, wow, God really answers prayer. That's amazing. Also, we get to be a community of faith. We get to believe in God and take risks. Some of us took some big risks, some big steps of faith to move here to start this church. But there are much bigger risks and steps of faith that we'll need to take to, to, to do what we feel God's called us to in this city. There will. There will. There'll be some things that we'll need to do that we don't even know right now, but God hasn't told us because they probably terrify us. I seriously believe that. But I want to I be this sort of church where we just take, where we make decisions and we all look around the room and think, can we really do that? That's stupid. Someone said that to me before, before we moved. He, he was an, another church pastor. He'd started a church himself about 15 years ago. And I told him what we were going to do. And he said, you're an idiot. I said, oh, all right, mate, hold on a second, it's a bit harsh. He said, you're an idiot. He said, anyone that wants to move to a city like Amsterdam and plant a church is an idiot. You know, if, if my, my background is in marketing, and the, the fundamental rule in marketing is if you want to sell something to someone, they, they want to be able to, you need to find some people that want to buy it. <laughs> you don't go to a market where nobody wants your product. It's not going to work, no one's going to buy it. We're in a city where no one really wants Christianity. So from a marketing point of view, why would you want to try and sell something to them that they don't want to get, right? That's what he says, that you're an idiot. We are. And I want us to be that sort of church, that we do stupid, idiotic things, but because we believe God's told us to, and we'll follow him, and we'll take silly, ludicrous risks, because we believe in God, and we believe he's bigger, and we'll have faith in him and trust in him. Okay, we're running out of time, so I'm going to skip the last couple and just finish with a couple of verses here. Now, it might be you're thinking, there's probably different categories of people in the room this evening. Some of you are thinking, this guy's crazy. Jesus is all hocus pocus anyway. I don't believe any of it. Shut up, I want to go home. Okay, that's fine. You can think that. Um, but I genuinely believe that God has drawn you here this evening. Some of you, you're, you're here and you're thinking, I'm not really, this is all new to me. This isn't my church. I'm just passing through or my, your first time here. Again, I think God's drawn you here for a reason. See, because one of the main things that the Holy Spirit does, as we said already, is that he, he glorifies Jesus. He bears witness to Jesus. He points our hearts to Jesus. He gives us a wonderful, deep assurance even. There's this beautiful verse. I'd love to read the whole chapter to you, but we don't have time from Romans 8. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, 
but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons. This is the important bit. Well, it's all important, but this bit. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Because of what Jesus has done for us, because Jesus died for us, for you, and then he rose again, we get to be children of God, sons and daughters of God. And what the Holy Spirit does is he, he comes into our heart and he bears witness to us. He comes and he tells our hearts, you're a son. The Father loves you. He comes and he, he says to your heart, look at what Jesus has done for you. And that's the, the one thing I want you to leave with this evening. Let me just read a, a quote to you from a book. This is uh, from a guy called Tom Goodwin who lived a couple of hundred years ago. He's talking about, he's talking about this, this verse. He's, he's trying to explain to us what happens when the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. He's, he's trying to explain what the Holy Spirit is doing. And he does it by this. He, he describes a man and his child, his son, walking down the road. Just imagine this in your head. There's a dad with his son walking down the road. They're walking hand in hand. And the child knows that he's the child of his father. And he knows that his father loves him. And he rejoices in it. He's happy that his dad loves him. There's no uncertainty about it at all. But suddenly, the father, moved by some impulse takes hold of that child and he picks him up. He cuddles him in his arms. He kisses him. He embraces him. He showers his love upon him. And then he puts him down again and they go on walking together. That's it. The child knew already that his father loved him and he knew that he was his child. But all oh, this loving embrace, this extra outpouring of love, this unusual manifestation of it. This is the spirit bearing witness of our spirit that we're the children of God. Why don't we, if you're happy to, why don't you just stand together? You can stay seated if you want. You don't have to. And just, just for a moment, just close your eyes. There's nothing magical about it. But just close your eyes. And just pray in your heart. I believe for, for some of you, even this evening, that... The Holy Spirit wants you to know that God's your Father. He wants to come and bear witness. He wants to come and tell your heart. He wants to give you this beautiful, deep assurance that the Father loves you. That he wants to embrace you. He wants to know you that we can have a deep, intimate relationship with God. We don't have to read about him in a book, although this book has wonderful power and we love it. But we can know and experience God as, as a child can know their parent. Because God is our Father. Maybe there's some of you that you don't really know what that means, even to have a Father, maybe that's 
You don't have a very good example of parenting. Maybe that's a difficult thing for you to even imagine. But God wants you to know that there's a loving father who cares for you deeply, who's, (laughs) by the Holy Spirit, has drawn you here this evening to tell you that, that he loves you so richly, so deeply. And he wants you to live with this assurance in your heart that no matter what storm or trial comes, no matter how much you blow it and you fail, no matter how much you think, I want to be on mission, I want to tell people about him, but I'm useless at it. (laughs) He wants you to know that he loves you dearly. God, we just, we invite you into our hearts, Lord. We never want to leave uh, any moment of coming to you the same. We want to leave different, but we want to leave here knowing your rich, wonderful love for us, how you care for us so intimately. We're going to close the meeting now by just, we're going to sing a song together and then we're going to take communion. Communion is a, it's a, it's a meal that Jesus took with his disciples before he died. He broke the bread and he, he poured out this the juice and, and it was the wine and it was representative of his body, of his blood. And he said, do this to keep on remembering me, what I've done for you. This is a meal that for, uh, for people who follow Jesus, so if, you're, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, then we just ask you to sit this bit of the meeting out. Um, if you want to become a Christian, just come and talk to us. We'd love to pray for you. But why don't you just go to the table in a minute, just when we start singing, grab a bit of bread, grab a cup. And um, you can either just go back to your seat and take it and sing, or you can grab someone and pray. Maybe even pray, do you know what? I want to know more of Jesus. (laughs) I want to know more of the Holy Spirit witnessing to my heart about who God is. Why don't you just ask someone to pray with you, help you to know God in a richer, deeper way?